Well, it was my daughter's birthday. We'd had a cake to celebrate and I was driving to Bournemouth to see a friend. Thirteen and a half years ago, Premier League footballer Gareth Barrelly was driving along the M40. When I got to Warwick, I started to feel sick in the car. I knew it wasn't very, very good. I pulled over to the side of the road, got out of the car, started vomiting blood, had to phone for an ambulance. The ambulance took him to the nearest hospital. I had an endoscopy, they found something in my stomach. He was rushed into theatre. I had to have emergency surgery and then kind of had to go through that process of kind of recovery. Gareth had an aneurysm. One of his main blood vessels had ballooned up and burst. I'm part of 10% that lived from the aneurysm I had. As part of my surgery, I'd lost 20% of my stomach, 40% of my pancreas, all of my spleen and part of my, my colon. He was lucky to survive. However, for Gareth, this health scare carried other consequences. They say your health is your wealth, and never has this been more true than for high-earning pro footballers for whom physical health is everything. I knew I wasn't going to play in the Premier League or the Championship again, but all I wanted to do was get back and play football again. That was it. My sole focus was, made my mistakes in my 20s. I just want to play for the love of the game again. Gareth was 32 at the time and expected to have a good few years of his football career ahead of him. But in the condition he found himself in following surgery, those plans were flawed. When I was home initially from the hospital and I was like, I was bedridden, if you like, barely able to walk up and down the stairs. He received a second fateful blow. A knock on the door. Gareth answers and... That was when I had tax authorities at my house for a debt in relation to film tax partnership. The UK tax authorities were on his doorstep, telling him he owed them for tax debts that he never knew even existed. How, how much was that tax bill for? The initial debt uh, was probably, I think it was about 48,000 was odd. Welcome to Money Clinic, the weekly podcast about personal finance and investing from the Financial Times. I'm Claire Barrett, the FT's consumer editor. You are listening to part two of our deep dive into the finances of top footballers, where we delve into what it's actually like earning a pro player's salary. Over the two episodes, we hear how professional footballers find themselves facing a whole host of financial pitfalls, dramas and vulnerabilities that are pretty unique to the profession, but nevertheless offer some valuable takeaways for us all. Last week, we heard from football legend Sol Campbell about how the conversations around money in football have changed since he started out in the game. We also spoke to current Bournemouth player Jack Stacey, who is looking to shore up his long-term financial plan in a career with an average retirement age of just 35. Keep listening. We'll be hearing more from both of them later, and Sol will also be sharing his views on how to get ahead with investing. For now... Back to Gareth. We've just left him in 2008 with the tax authorities on his doorstep, delivering him with a £48,000 bill. But let's rewind even further. Gareth is deep in the swing of his football career. I played football for the Republic of Ireland and my club career was with Aston Villa, Everton and Bolton, amongst others. Gareth signed his first pro contract in 1992, right about the time that much larger sums of money started flowing into the English Football League. 
To help him manage his income, Gareth had a financial advisor who told him about a pretty attractive-sounding product for his investment portfolio. You're investing into the British film industry. It's on its knees and there's new incentives or schemes that have been set up to help help lift the industry. He was told that the British film industry was struggling against the dominance of Hollywood and was in need of money, with tax breaks for those who invested significant sums. Gareth liked the sound of what his advisor was telling him. And in my particular case, the further caveat was that you wouldn't have to pay any of that money back. So it was classic exclamation marks, no-brainer. And he wasn't the only one either. Big names such as Beckham, Southgate and Lineker were reported to have invested in similar schemes. Gareth says that when you're a young, high-flying footballer, the relationships you build with people are often mediated through those closest to you, family members and agents. Fundamentally, the agent can be the gatekeeper with regards to relationships and then access. When you're in that relationship and you have that absolute trust in people, you would be invariably reluctant to listen to somebody else's viewpoint. And some of those trusted members of the inner circle were, in fact, financial advisors introduced to him and other players through agents or via word of mouth. You trusted the people that were telling you what to do because they were, they were your investment managers and they were beyond investment managers, Claire. They were, they were friends. They, they ate with us. They drank with us. They socialised with us. They went on holiday with people. They were in the players' lounge after games. They, they were living the Premier League lifestyle without without the risk, and because they were always seen in that kind of group. Hindsight is a wonderful thing. But as Gareth says, the footballers took the recommendations from advisors they trusted without doing their own research into the suitability or risks of these kinds of investments. But then, a few years later, when the UK tax authorities cottoned onto these schemes... It was only kind of mid-2000s where all of a sudden you ended up with the narrative and the language changing that everybody was a tax avoider based on entering into all of these schemes. And the point was, that's not what people bought into in the first place. This experience changed Gareth's life in more ways than you might expect, as we will hear later on in the show. But first, I wanted to find out how younger footballers feel about these kinds of risky investments and how they tackle finding an advisor they can trust. So... Jack, we heard from Gareth Farrelly there, his incredible story. I mean, what did you make of that? Yeah, I think it is scary. And it is the reason that many current players are always reluctant to, to get involved with financial advisors or, or, or third parties. Because even if you if you think you are doing the right thing, sometimes it, it can come back to, to bite you from people maybe taking advantage of, of footballers. So, yes, yeah, that is scary to hear. That's Jack Stacey fallback for Bournemouth AFC. I spoke to him last week about how he balances his football career with a degree alongside. I told him some of the things that Gareth had said. The other scary factor, of course, is being injured. I mean, at first he thought, hope against hope, that he might be able to, to recover, but soon became clear that there, there was no hope. Yeah, of course. And I think um, he mentioned he was 32 then and, and he would have liked to have played for longer. And, and there's players that it can happen at a much younger age. It can happen at any time within your career, I think. 
I think first of all, it's scary that it, it just just reminds me that at any point um, you, you can get hit with an injury and, and it can affect your career. And it almost re-emphasizes the advice that you need to have have a plan in place, a financial plan in place. And, and I'm, I'm happy that I do have that. But at the same time, it's always something that you're going to need to reevaluate because there's always more you can do. Jack does have a good plan in place between his investments and his university education. But as we've just heard, life can throw anything at you. Whatever plan Gareth had in place for his football career, he was forced to think again. So let's revisit him at his front door back in 2008, recovering from an aneurysm, facing up to the end of his football career and waving goodbye to his old salary, only to be hit with an unexpected tax bill for nearly £50,000. What did he do next? The first step of that then was going to see a lawyer. And again, having a not very positive experience because the lawyer was obviously looking upon me as, well, here's ex-footballer, you know, potential opportunity to earn. And, And that was kind of what opened up the law for me because the decision I kind of made having come out of that meeting with a lawyer was that I need to understand this language, I need to understand what happened to me, I need to understand how I go about trying to fix this. Gareth, who left school aged 16, decided to retrain as a lawyer. I wasn't earning money anymore. I'd returned to university as a student. So it opened up a whole new world to me. My reality was totally different. He is now a commercial litigator, sports lawyer and arbitrator working on cases with high net worth individuals not dissimilar to the one he himself got embroiled with in the tax avoidance dispute. Gareth has found his second career, albeit through a rather tumultuous turn of events. I was able to flip that around and say, OK, you've had your football career, you've made your mistakes and now it's time to move on to something else. My illness obviously shifted my kind of mindset as well so I think I've been quite lucky but I don't think oh I wish I was still a footballer there's certain things of that life you miss and you will always miss but I've invariably got a to-do list of jobs that I didn't do the day before that is where my immediate thoughts go as opposed to what I did years ago. This is one of the things that came up last week in my conversations with Jack and Sol how hard it can be, financially and emotionally, to find a second career after retiring from football. And even though Gareth has found his feet, he admits it is really difficult. The headlines with regard to kind of professional football, people will speak about the well-documented headlines around 40% of footballers will face the threat of bankruptcy within five years of retiring. Over a third of footballers will be divorced within 12 months of retiring. Mental health issues are huge now. I mean, why does that happen? Is it, is it just because they couldn't adjust to a life without that high income and weren't ready for it? Well, well Claire, it's not just limited to footballers. So I think, I think, and again, it's equally similar patterns with regards to the NBA, the NFL. The figures are incredibly high. There's an assumption that just because you earn more, it means you should be immune to that. Whereas the reality is the more you earn, the more vulnerable you are because one or two mistakes when you earn that level of money means that your your ability to recover is even more difficult. For Gareth, a huge part of the problem is that in football, the money starts to come in so young. 
So if you look at top lawyers, top barristers, you start at the bottom of the ladder and you work your way up. And as you get older and more experienced, that's where your value comes. And invariably, that's where increased financial rewards would come. As a footballer, however, those first big paychecks can come in when you're just a teenager. And what happens then is that there's a, there's a, there's, there's a chance that you haven't really got the maturity or the sophistication or the understanding of money to be able to think beyond your playing career. So, Gareth, what are the things that you wish you had known about money when you were 20? Well, I think, Tara, my disclaimer in this is that even through my footballing career, I think I was an idiot in my 20s. So I always kind of look back on that now and say, if, if older, more mature Gareth was going to speak to younger Gareth, what would it have been? I think that whilst you may wish to invest in certain things and you may have a picture of yourself based on Netflix or based on a persona you built that you're going to be a businessman or you're going to be able to do this, that and the other, your successes will be limited to the quality of the people you have around you. And again, that filter can be quite difficult whilst you're living, living the life. When it comes to who to trust in the financial world, this isn't just a problem for footballers. It's something that all our listeners can learn from. Gareth says, you need to do your research. Check whether people are what they say they are, what their past record is like, what their company is like. From an athlete's perspective, if you don't understand the language or you don't truly understand something, you're still inclined to sit there and nod your head as if you are. So not to be afraid to say what you don't know or that you would potentially want a second opinion or a third opinion on something before you are prepared to commit to it. And what about Jack? Do you have any advice to him? I mean, he's studying business and economics alongside his football career and is potentially looking to move into the business side of of sport when he can no longer play. I think it's brilliant to hear a story like that, Claire. But I I think it appears that Jack is already on 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 a good road with regards to what may come further down the line. He's already starting to prepare for that in some ways. So... Education is amazing because I think once you start learning, you never really stop. It's like it kind of drives you on to learn more and continue that kind of development and evolution. And the earlier you start to think about those things, the better it's going to be. Someone who did start thinking about his finances very early on was Sol Campbell. We heard lots about his own money story in episode one. There's more to tell. Incredibly, as a 17-year-old player, Sol decided to start a pension. I mean, the manager came and said, look, um, blah, blah, blah's here. Do you want to start a pension? I kind of thought about it. I said, you know, what is a you know, pension? How does it work? And he explained it in a short short uh, bit of time. And I said, you know what? Yeah, I'm doing that. I'm, I want something for the future. Because I think when you're from, you know, from an area that, that I'm from, you, you, it doesn't work all the time. But I'm, I was always conscious of, how long is this going to last? So um, I said, yeah, I, I like that for the future. I like something to kind of hold on to, something that you can kind of um, protect and grow at the same time. But Sol's financial savvy doesn't stop there. Since he hung up his football boots in 2012, he's forged a multifaceted career for himself, spanning football punditry, managing teams and property development. As promised, he's going to share some of his financial tips and insights on how he manages his money. So, Sol, 
What advice would you give to your 25-year-old self? Uh, when I was in St. Bart's, buy that house. You should have bought it. <laughs> it's a house. It's just, uh, you know, I think that I do a vanity one and I do like a proper one. The vanity one is like I was in St. Bart's and I had a chance to buy a, a, a beautiful villa. That villa would be worth like, you know, almost five times, six times now. So that's one thing. I regret that, you know. But for me, at 25, if you want to be, you know, really, really... Um, kind of serious about it I, I would have gone a little bit more and bought a couple more properties and and that would have been in a good stead for me now I, I let go a couple of things and I should have been a bit more bolder at the time For Sol shoring up that financial future post-retirement has a lot to do with making the right investments something I'd say is true for both footballers and regular listeners if you get it right, it's some steady stream of uh, of income, uh, and you're kind of—I'm not saying you're a master of your own destiny, but you, you're you're definitely an architect, you know. Uh, and you and you're trying to kind of you know make your make your way in life without waiting for someone to give you a job in in the in the particular sport you you've played in for 10, 15, 20 years. Sol says you've got to think about the long game. Also, you've got things that transcend time. You obviously need, you can't have too much, you know, something that's stagnant and, and uh, is nice now, but you need a lot of investments that, that move with time and, and move with the inflation as well. Um, and, that's, and that's key. For him, property is an investment choice that he's rather partial to. A lot of footballs are cautious, just in case. And I'm, I'm the same, you know. That's why they love property, because at least they know it's there. Yeah, it can drop down in, you know, in price sometimes, but at least you know... It's there and you can, you know, for me, you, you, if you've got a house and it's all paid off, it doesn't matter if you want to rent it out, at least you can rent it out for one pound. At least it's better than nothing, yes. you know, and you've got the asset. That's the beautiful thing about that. Are there any investments that you regret not getting into? I mean, the only thing I think the guys don't really get into, which I, I wish I got into more, is art. You know, I got into art... F- too late. I got into art 30. I wish I was in art at 20. Like, you know, the masters and great photographers and things. And I wish, you know, I was kind of more into art, you know, at 20 years old, really. Because, you know, you got that, you know, you could afford it. It wasn't as expensive. And if you had a really clever person to kind of create for you, you could you could have, you know, earned a, quite a f- nice sum. Finally, I asked Sol what advice he would give to younger footballers and investors about finding an advisor they can trust. I keep on going back to if you've got good people around you and a good investment guy or, or, or group behind you, you know, you're, you're, you're fine. And all the, also the questions to ask as well. So you, you don't seem kind of bamboozled by some of these guys, oh, these investments, that's investments, but you, you actually want to ask questions and you take your time, you go away and you, and you show maybe your lawyer or, or maybe show your parents or, or, or whatever. Just have a second look at it. You always need a second eyes on, on whatever everyone's, you know, want you to invest in. You always get a separate, uh, independent uh, eyes on it just to look at it. And even if it costs a little bit of money, at least they give an honest uh, kind of opinion if it's totally separate and I think that's key so yeah I you know those are the things really I'm you know that you you should be looking out for uh, as a as a youngster so what does 25 year old player Jack think about how Sol and footballer turned lawyer Gareth have managed their post football careers I'd love to speak to Gareth I'd love to speak to other players that have gone into to other um, industries I think for him to retrain as a lawyer and go into a different industry is, is 
I think, probably an inspiration for all players coming to the end of their career. Sol shared with us a little bit about how he manages his own finances. What did you make of that? Yeah, I really liked the way he said about having it. The most important thing was about having the right people around you and, and the right maybe financial advisors around you. And I think that is important because as, as a young footballer, your priority, you're paid to play football and then your priority is that. So your expertise is in playing football, not in, in making investments or, or knowing what to invest in. So if you do have the right people around you um, doing that on your behalf, I think that can help massively. Has coming on Money Clinic podcast made you think more about where you'd like to be when your career on the pitch ends? So for myself, I don't see that even if I was in the financial position to do it, that I would retire and, and put my feet up on a beach for, for the next 50 years of my life. But if I'm in a position where I have the option not to rush into something straight away, but to be able to build and to be able to work myself up in a different industry because of because I'd got my finances right finances right whilst I was playing, then I think that's where ultimately I would like to be. And I think that one lesson that we can all take from that, whether we're footballers or or mere mortals, is that if you get used to spending all the money you earn, this is a very bad habit to to break out of, whether that's forty thousand pounds a week or, or forty thousand pounds a year. Yeah, I think I think it shows that no matter how much you are earning, if you are spending everything that you're earning, then then long term it, it's impossible to build any sort of financial assets or or, or income producing wealth. Mm. Even so, I was quite surprised that Sol said his biggest regrets were deals he'd missed out on. You know, not taking more risk, not buying more properties. How did you feel about those those comments? I think that is potentially good advice. At the same time, like you said, looking back in hindsight, he, he may have got a, a bad injury two years later and he, and he would have regret being tied up in, into an investment. So I, I think it is good advice um, to, to, to almost take a little bit more risk. And at, at the same time, you have to, to weigh up the, the downsides of that as well. So Jack, you're 25 now, your whole life ahead of you. But if you could give your younger self one piece of financial advice, what would it be? Yeah, I think for me, it would be to make a plan as as early as possible whether that's with a financial advisor whether that's with parents but I think having a plan in place allows you to take control of your finances so that that any situation whether whether you play f- for 15 years in your career or, or it gets cut short you know you some some people can only play to three five years and then they have to retire I think having a plan in place allows you the options so that post football you can you can do what you want to pursue You could say footballers provide the ultimate example of the need for financial planning, resisting the temptation to spend, thinking about investing for the future, and making sure you have an advisor you can trust. While they may earn millions more in a lifetime than we can ever dream of, these are winning financial lessons for us too. That's it for Money Clinic this week and we hope you like what you've heard in this two-part sports finance special. If you did, spread the word and leave us a review. And if you would like to chat with me on a future episode of the show, get in touch. You can email me, our address is money at ft.com or DM me on Twitter or Instagram. I'm at Claire B. You can read more about the business of sport from our FT reporters and the scoreboard team on ft.com slash scoreboard. As a premium FT subscriber, you can also get the weekly scoreboard newsletter, 
filled with additional news, insights and analysis. Head to subs.ft.com scoreboard to sign up. Money Clinic was produced by Persis Love. Our executive producer is Manuela Saragosa. Our sound engineer is Breen Turner. And the original music is by Metaphor Music. And finally, the Money Clinic podcast is a general discussion around financial topics and does not constitute an investment recommendation or individual financial advice. For that, you'll need to find an independent financial advisor. That's the small print over and done with. See you back here soon. Goodbye.